Costume Station Zero. I'm Bob Mitch, and I'm here with a very special episode where we talk to Mr. Neil Gordon of Millennium FX. Now, Neil is a very talented makeup artist, and his work has been seen in Children of Men, Saving Private Ryan, The Wolfman, Sarah Jane Adventures, Torchwood, Being Human, and of course, the current incarnation of Doctor Who. Now, I caught up with Neil at the IMATS trade show back in January, but unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to sit down and do a one-on-one. Uh, but this sort of worked out to the best because I was invited to his uh, one-on-one talk uh, Q&A session for MUD, that's Makeup Designery School here in Burbank, and, uh, and I got to record the whole thing. And it's going to be here for your listening pleasure. So the reason why this is for the best is because had I talked to him one-on-one, I would have been lucky to get 15 minutes with his busy schedule. But instead, uh, you're going to get a nice hour-long interview with a nice sound quality uh, being interviewed by my good friend uh, Deborah Weeks, who actually covered about 90% of what I would have asked. So it's all pretty good stuff, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, in the meantime, if you want to know more about Neil's work, uh, just go to millenniumfx.co.uk. Uh, Or if you want to learn more about uh, his uh, internships and training courses, uh, go to uh, gortonstudio.co.uk. That's G-O-R-T-O-N studio.co.uk. And if you want to know more about MUD, anyone interested in uh, learning more about makeup, just go to www.mudshop.com and you can check them out as well. Uh, In the meantime, um, that's about it. So just enjoy uh, this wonderful special episode that's brought to us by my good friend Dev and the people at MUD. And we'll be back next week with more Shop Talk here on Costume Station Zero. Thank you all for coming tonight. I really appreciate it. Um, I want to thank you, Neil, for coming. Neil, My pleasure. Neil came over for IMATS and has been interviewing people for his magazine. He has a magazine. Yeah, you guys yeah. Yeah. All check out. Um, like, I know a lot of makeup artists, and I... Um, and I have to say that Neil is one of the people I really um, admire deeply, deeply, deeply. Not just because of his incredible integrity as an artist, the work ethic, just the vision. And we were talking earlier about his vision seems to know no end. And hopefully tonight you guys will walk away seeing more than you thought you could see with the potential of what you can do. And there's some stuff that you may know that he didn't, that he, you may have seen, but you would not know that he's done that I want to get into. So we're just going to begin. Uh, where were you born? Uh, Liverpool, in the north of England. So it's, um, well, I'm sure everyone knows Liverpool is where the Beatles are from. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, that's an obvious one. Yeah, and um, what was uh, what was it like for you growing up? Um, I, I had a pretty good childhood. You know, I had very good parents, very kind parents who who you know weren't quite sure what it was I was doing and why I was doing it, but were kind of cool and behind it. And you know, when I was buying uh, mixes for running foam in 
age, you know, 14 as my birthday present. My mum's just like, I don't know what you do, I don't know what this stuff is, but if it makes you happy, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll support it. Well, did you have any other friends that were makeup artists or doing effects stuff? No, I mean, the, the, you have your circle of friends and they're all f interested, they all had fun and, you know, my first prosthetics were always on, you know, your, kid, your buddies from school. You know, because they and they just think it's fun, but they none of them were kind of interested in doing it themselves. What was your first uh, prosthetic, just out of interest? Do you remember what it, you did? Yeah, it, I I had the Dick Smith kit, so you know there was that, and also I was trying to make um, Planet of the Apes makeups, and it was interesting. I was uh, this morning I was um, visiting with uh, Vincent Van Dyke, Vincent Van Dyke. Who, who's a, a guy I really admire, young guy coming up, and um, and he said something. I was talking to him about the same thing, and he said something which really kind of struck a chord. He was like, "Yeah, I'd have these masks, and I cut them up and trunglued the bits on, thinking that was prosthetics." And it was like, <laughs> "I did exactly the same thing. I, you've got these kind of joke shop masks, and you tried to butcher them and turn them into a prosthetic." You know? What was uh, the, your first memory of the entertainment industry in your life? Um. It was the kind of traditional Saturday night. In England, Saturday night around the TV was, you know, the night the family sat down and kind of, you know, we, you got fish and chips and you kind of watched whatever was on the BBC, you know, and, and invariably Doctor Who was one of those shows. There'd be a movie, Doctor Who would be on, then there'd be a movie and, you know, a few other things. <clears throat> so Doctor Who was actually probably one of, it was actually quite an early memory for me. And who was your first, um, how many people know Doctor Who here? Okay, that's good. That's it, that, <laughs> that'll do. How many? Uh, who was the first doctor? Well, Tom Baker was the one I, I kind of, because he was like the doctor the longest. It was seven years or something, wasn't it? And that was from a, I think, about, I must have been about five or six when he started. But I do remember John Pertwee, but it wasn't as strong an influence, you know. I'm older than you. I remember mm. John Pertwee. Just remember those that run. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember? Do you remember any particular episode? I do, I do remember a bit, and of course, I, you can never forget the you know the planet of the spiders, the the transformation, you know, him turning into Tom Baker. And, but yeah. I remember bits of it before then with him with the car and the, you know the kind of with his yeah. Hoomobile and things like that. What was your? Was there a strong memory of anything from the uh, Tom Baker era that was like a creature that you have now done that you're like, oh, that's so cool, I want. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. I, I'm trying to think of a specific one. Well, I, I mean, the Zygons was one, yeah, which we did um, last year for the 50th special. So I do remember the Zygons. Uh, but there's one, the one that I haven't done, and I'd love to do, but I never will because the story doesn't work, was a character called The Brain of Morbius. Oh, I love that one. Which is a great episode. It's like a Frankenstein episode, and this guy's scientist built this creature out of all these different bits of aliens, and it was just nuts, and it scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, uh, but it was brilliant. Uh, but because of that story the way it was, you never will get never get to make that, but uh, that's probably a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did your career begin? Um, I, I, I used to write to people a lot. I used to watch the end of TV shows and see names and I'd just pick up the name, special effects or makeup or whatever and write to them. So and so care of the BBC London, <laughs> you know, and that was it. And I'd, I'd get a few replies, you know, um, and I slowly managed to make contacts and just approach people and just basically asking for advice, you know, I'm at school, what do you think the best thing I should do if I want this as a career? 
Um, and I managed to contact Chris Tucker, uh, who famously did The Elephant Man and Company Wolves. Um, and he gave me advice and he eventually, he offered me, a, I went to visit him when I was about 15. Um, and I got a lot of encouragement and advice off him. And then he finally gave me um, a couple of weeks work experience when I was 17. So I did some work for Chris and I was at a, a kind of, what was in those days the sixth form, sixth form art college. So I kind of just realized that I thought I was wasting my time there. And with the bits of extra knowledge I got working for Chris, I went home back up to Liverpool and just attacked my portfolio for a few weeks and then headed back to London. I was very lucky to bump into Bob Keane in uh, Forbidden Planet Bookshop. Forbidden Planet Bookshop was like the mecca that everyone in London went to this one comic bookshop and they did film and TV magazines. So I literally thought I'll just pop in there and Bob was in there and Bob had just done Highlander and Hellraiser. Um, and literally Hellraiser was released that week. So you can imagine how his kind of profile exploded that week. Um, and I saw Bob and I just said, I've been working with Chris Tucker, can I show you a portfolio? And he invited me down to Shevlin Studios and, and within the week I was working on a, a horror movie called Waxwork, um, which was quite low budget, kind of funny film. David Warner, Zach Gallagher, it's all shot over here. But then within six months I was over here working on a thing called The Unholy. Uh, so I was 18, working at Rally Studios. Uh, built the creature suit, built the animatronics. I was inside the creature. The film was called The Unholy and I was the back end, so everyone nicknamed me The Bum Holy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just, yeah, just utterly life-changing experience. Um, heroes and mentors. <coughs> well, Chris was kind of a mentor in a way, you know, he, he responded to my letters, that's, <laughs> that's a good start. So, you know, he gave me a lot of advice. Um, and then Bob, you know, I went on to work with Bob and he was an, an interesting influence. He He's not a, you know, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying he's not actually a, a, much of an artist himself, but he was a, a manager and he, and he was just great with people. Um, but then before that, you know, it, it was all the usual ones, you know, I'd, I'd pick up, you know, this is long before the internet, this is the Stone Age and it was all magazines and of course Liverpool, trying to get anything, there was a couple of comic book shops would get the odd import, so, I got my first Cinefex when I was about 13 or 14. I think the Rick Baker one must have been about that time with the, the Greystoke cover. So that was a, you know, mind-blowing to see that work. Uh, but also the Tom Savini um, Grand Illusions book. Because I'd seen out a couple of other maker books, but Tom just made it simple. And he had those great illustrations and just the way he presented it, he made it accessible and, and it looked like fun. And that was, you know, that really inspired me to kind of do more. Um, I remember I went to a local dental supplier because I was looking for, so he had a whole thing on making teeth, you know, and I went in to show these guys, see if I could get some of these dental acrylics. And, and the guys there were, were so fascinated by it. They said, they asked me if they could hold on to the book for a few days <laughs> and then come back in a few days. So I went back and, that, and they just gave me a box full of like denture trays and all these oh, wow. algaes and everything and the book back. And they were like, you know, that's great. We're off to make our own fans now. <laughs> and then, but here you go. We just found all the stuff that had never sold and just gave it to me, you know? Oh, so. Let me ask as well. I mean, I see like 
like in some of your age work, I really see like how hugely, like I mean, Dick Smith must have been a huge influence mm. on you. Yeah, I mean, I had, I had that was another one. You know, I had the Dick Smith makeup kit. You know, um, but I hadn't seen many of the first. You know, I was too young really to be watching The Exorcist and The Godfather. So beyond the kit, my knowledge of Dick and his work was quite limited for a long time. Um, so all these other uh, other influences came in quicker, but um, but yeah, you know, as you start to grow and understand and see who's in the industry and get a handle on it, suddenly you're seeing that side of it and, uh, and really respecting and appreciate. So Dick was a, a huge influence, even just from the fact that you're sat there with a kit, you know, that he's put together. Well, it's also wild for me. I mean, I remember I picture we took at IMATS like a while back, where it was you, Chris Tucker. Mm. Rick Baker, do you remember that one when yeah. it was in Alexander Palace? I mean, that must have been a wild moment because you must have been like, "These are my yeah, heroes," and now I'm the, one of them. This is it. You stood there with you know with Chris and with Rick Baker and everything, and you're just going, "Okay, this is <laughs> this is kind of weird, but um, nice like yeah. this." Yeah, amazing. I thought. Um, <coughs> can you talk about your company and and, and, and like the various aspects of your company? Because there's there's what like three, four, five parts to it now. Um, so the, the, the crux of it is Millennium Effects, in which we do what most companies here do, makeup effects, prosthetics, animatronics, models, props, whatever, but um, predominantly creature effects, that kind of thing, uh, for film and TV and commercials. Um, the thing I'm most proud about Millennium is we've never been pigeonholed. You know, we're not the, the animatronics guy or the aliens guy. You know, we do, you know, it. Yeah, I mean, we do Doctor Who, but people don't class us as only doing aliens, you know, because I do loads of character and old age makeup. Uh, we also do, you know, we've just done a huge series uh, in the UK, which is coming out soon, called Critical, which is all a medical drama with all these operations, and it's all shot real time. It's like a one hour real time drama with extreme medical stuff, really pushing the boundaries of what you can do. Um, so we've never, we've always managed to dodge that thing of being pigeonholed as just one kind of company. <laughs> but then also diversifying from that, you know, I, I set up the school. The school's 12 years old now, um, and I'm massively proud of the amount of people that have come through the school and into the industry. We've our, our success rate is really high, but that's always because I've kept it very small. Um, and and that's exciting, you know. I mean, also our tutors are all industry people they're people who are working at millennium and then they take basically a, a, a seven week sabbatical to go and do the school and then go back into the industry so we we don't have any full-time teachers um so so yeah you know the school's been a, a, an exciting thing for me and i i really enjoyed it and that springboarded me into doing more education work um and i've kind of gone out there i work around the country as well with a lot of the colleges and universities because that's really taken off you know now you've got you know it used to be private schools but now you've got you know all these other you know uh, educational institutions which are actually getting doing effects courses and what have you so I'm uh, bizarrely I'm officially a professor of special effects at one university <laughs> which I always find completely bizarre but um, but I'm actually uh, kind of the, I've been discussing with them lately about doing a doctorate because I've done so many, so many written things that I can put that towards a doctorate which is I didn't ever thought I didn't even you know, go to college. So the idea of being a professor of anything or, or doing doctorates in anything is completely insane. But it's just kind of where things have gone. But that's a that's a whole other aspect. Um, 
And then I, I started up a material supply company because what the hell? I'm, <laughs> I'm doing it all anyway. I might as well do that. But, uh, you know, the, the, there's a lot of stuff I do there. I was kind of helping other companies kind of source materials and products and things. And it's like, why don't I just do it myself? So we've got an online store that we set up last year called Neil's Materials, very imaginatively named. Um, sometimes you just got to be bloody obvious, haven't you? You know, it's like, don't try and get it. You just go, there it is, simple title. Um, and we had a bit of a crazy year last year because we started the material supply business. Um, we're doing this magazine as well. So we kind of pushed that out there last year. And then I'm also doing a... a it's like an IMAT show, but it's not. It's, we call it the prosthetic event. And it's a one day event, focused more on education. Um, but it's still the same kind of format. You've got exhibitors coming in and you know, a stand and you have a, a lecture theater. And um, that, we, we did that last November, which was um, fabulous. Uh, I managed to get um, David White was our key speaker. Uh, David hasn't He's kept quite a low profile in the industry, you know, he's one of those guys, he's not into pushing himself out there much. Uh, but his career, I mean, obviously, you know, just Oscar nominated for Guardians of the Galaxy. And you've got all the Marvel movies, Thor and all the Captain America and all the, you know, Red Skull. I mean, he's doing such amazing work. Um, but no one had kind of invited him to a show. And, and so I thought, well... Be great to interview him so it was great i got to interview him on stage and we did loads of demonstrations so so it was a really interesting fun show to do um can yeah. you talk about your relationship to uh lady gaga and what how that came about because i think this is fascinating well it was just literally it was just one of those crazy phone calls you know i i think I'm not. I'm still not quite sure, but I think someone who was working with her was a bit of a Doctor Who fan, <laughs> and um, and she got in touch about doing these prosthetics for Born This Way, and suddenly it was like overnight. I'm on a plane to Barcelona, and I just had a picture of her holding a couple of bits of paper on her face, going something like this. So literally on the way to the meeting, I just did a quick Photoshop, and went in and sat down she started talking and I just went well that and she's like oh that's it done and it was interesting because people afterwards were going she never approved anything that quick what the hell did you do because you know yeah. you showed her what picture and you just went done um, and yeah and we just spent a kind of a bit of a uh, a crazy year or so kind of going off did the Grammy Awards all the singers hair and the makeup did the album cover did photo shoots we had to basically it got so insane that it was um i had to draft in other people so because the amount of times we were jumping on planes and flying out here just to do this show or that show or you know do the grammys do jay leno do and it was like look this is nuts so i got howard Berger involved and just went how can you look after west coast and anything up and down here um and I knew the, the the guys from the Saturday Night Live guys in New, New York, so Louie and Josh and everyone, and I just went to the guy, look, can you do East Coast? Yeah. So we'll do Europe, you do East Coast, you do West Coast, and we'll keep it covered. Because she just wanted the prosthetics on all the time, you know, and we just couldn't keep up with it. But but it was an, it was an interesting, a whole different world, utterly different world. But what a um, wonderful world to go into it. And that was great fun. And also, it's sort of a, like a, an evolution that had to happen. Somewhat like it's just an evolution for the yeah. rock. Like Bowie would have done it. Yeah. 
Do you know I, what I mean? I'm interested to see who does what next, you know. But it was it was fun to do, yeah. and it was you know it was great. It's becoming a you know it's kind of a great album cover to have a big poster on the wall, <laughs> you know. Well, let's talk about Doctor Who. How how uh, how did it come about? What's the experience of Doctor Who like in your life? Um, I mean, anything that you loved as a kid is always going to be, you know, you're going to have a little passion for. Um, I was lucky, it was a friend of mine was asked to do the show. Um, and he realised that basically it was just too big a deal for him. So he just took the straight makeup work, the regular makeup work, and he told them to call me. And I mean, I, I wanted to do it. I wanted to do the show before I heard from them, but when I heard that Davey was doing it, I kind of thought, well, you know, you don't go muscling in there, so I just forgot about it. Next minute I get a phone call from the producer just saying, come and meet. It's like, okay. And, and then we were on board and it was, the first series was just insane because the BBC didn't really support it. There was a lot of money, uh, there wasn't a lot of money, should I say. So it was, it's very difficult. It was a really difficult first year, and you know we we didn't make any make a penny out of it, and it was just such hard work. But then it just took off, and and it's turned into this fantastic, great, big, massive monster as a, of a show. And it's you know it's crazy. It's like it, you know it gets shown at the cinema. There's special cinema events, and they do a world tour and all the stuff to do with it it's crazy but it's, it's been a fantastic ride and you know it's nice because it came at a time where with the company you know you to be able to build a business you need some good solid foundations and Doctor Who was just a, a good solid foundation on which to keep building and come up with all these projects I know you can't pro I mean do you remember what it was like when you met Russell T Davis and what was what was that conversation like between the two of you? It, well, it was very... <laughs> if you saw any of this, you'd laugh, because it, it was in the tiniest... I mean, this is how the BBC kind of treated it at first. It was in London at one of the kind of... A building they've now kind of condemned and demol demolished in a room that was the size of a broom cupboard. And Russell's a great big guy, and there was him sat there, and Phil, the producer, and I've come in with a portfolio, and just had a little conversation, and, and that was it. And, uh, I mean, it, there was one point where I kind of you know, slightly geeked, because I, I was showing the portfolio and, and Phil had stepped down and was just talking to Russell and I just turned to him and went, look, I have to say, I just so want to do this bloody show. <laughs> it was like, please give it to me. But, it, you know, I just said, I just really want the job. You know, I just forget business. I just really want the job. Um, but that's it. Everything in that first season was like the smallest meeting room, because we were always get the bottom of the list for, you know, getting the meeting room space. Um, you know, it was kind of, everyone I think just thought it was going to be a disaster. There was a pressure to it, wasn't there? Oh God, yeah, massive. Is there more pressure now that it's probably the biggest show in the world? No, it's, um, it's fun, you know, I can really enjoy it now. You know, we've done it long enough, I should know how to do it. <laughs> you know? It's been on for 10 years. 10 years, it? yeah. And it's, it's unending really, isn't it? Well, it was, uh, my, my first meeting was um, 2004, so this is, I've gone into the 11th year involved with it wow and you've done every creature you wanted to do yeah I mean it's, it's the best show in the world because I'm doing old age makeups we're doing animatronic creatures we're doing giant stuff little stuff animals um, monsters aliens you told me something that was actually very inspiring for people do you remember that you told me that you actually asked the guys that sell the toys what mm. sells more if you would tell that story because that's a good story yeah I got involved in a bit of the merchandise and I just I kind of had a theory 
because it, it's interesting CGI I mean I haven't got that you know I haven't got some great big hate of it but I always wondered what kind of people thought and how you know you respond and I've always been interested in kind of the psychology of things you know uh, I'm interested in the way people react to things it's like old age makeups I remember seeing you know our young actors in old age makeups and you know you'd be on set and if they're kind of going down some stairs other people would instinctively put a hand out to help even though they know who it is and that it's an old age makeup that somehow it just triggers kind of responses so I did the guys doing the merchandise and I just had a word with it. I was saying so the, the toy sales you know the, the going well yeah I said so CGI characters and real characters what sells the best and they went over the real stuff they said that, that anything that was derived from a CGI thing usually stays on the shelf they're usually the thing we've got left over and goes for sale and it's a fascinating thing because you, you then ask why and I think it's because and I think to being a child you know the idea that you could meet that thing that you can physically go and touch it, that you could be in the room with it, is really appealing. The minute you take that away and it becomes something that's, you know, ethereal, it just, you know, it just exists as pixels, it's not as much fun. No. You know, there's something primal about that. And, and that's why we just respond so well to, you know, physical characters. And I think people get wrapped up in the kind of well you can do anything with CG you, you can get more movement or do this but you know I, th I think in the future you know people will still be far more interested in the classic Planet of the Apes I agree because they were actors and they were they were real you know and someone can dress up as one and all that than they ever will about the CGI one and I really you know the latest Planet of the Apes movies, I watched it I thought it was brilliant what they did and, uh, and it's fascinating and really interesting but there's still something I don't people prior it's a primal thing you just can't get past the fact that somewhere in the subconscious you know it's basically just a very good cartoon and you can't have yeah you can't have that can't have a relationship with yeah. those kind of things um <clears throat> where does your inspiration come from how do you keep yourself being creative on such because you have to be creative so <coughs> so effectively um, with such short time diversity in. i think just doing so many different things anyway you know i I'm one of those people, if I focus too much on an idea, I get bogged down in it. So if by having so many different things going on, you can just put your mind somewhere else. And usually when you're thinking about something else is when the, the solution to another problem mm -hmm. comes. You know, when you're staring at something, you usually just, you lose it, you know. But it, it, it is, it, it's always, I'm constantly bouncing from one thing to another, you know, because I'm usually looking for an answer to another problem and I go off over here instead. And then, boop pops up um, if you had to say to these guys go home and watch my work tonight I think this shows my work in, in a really good light what would it be what would you say you would you give maybe a couple of examples yeah they, they, well I like the um, this work I'm doing now I've, I've, I've never been one of those people when people go what's your favorite piece of work and the, the, usually I don't have one it's something I it's the thing I just did you know, because yeah. it's the most recent. So um, I was very happy with the Matt Smith's aging, where he, um, at the end of Doctor Who, because 
it worked you know it, he looked good he performed it well the whole package worked and it was his last show and and you know if you're going to drop the ball anywhere that's the place you don't want to drop the ball so i was just bloody relieved that it was did you apply that yourself yeah oh yeah so you were on set for that yeah, yeah. whole thing yeah are there certain times where they're like no no neil has to be here for yeah this. yeah i was there but i also do that anyway proactively you know it's like if it's if it's the leads actor, if it's the doctor in doctor who you know they and it's an aging it's like well of course i'm gonna go do it you know yeah so there's still those things and sometimes there's things that i want to do you know um that's the joy of where i am i can kind of pick and choose a little bit and take those things that I, I want to do um but yeah you know that the, that makeup i was really happy with but to be honest it, it you know doctor who is right across the range just because there's such a fun range of stuff and and it's fun you know i enjoyed my work and i think that comes out i mean i don't get kind of um you know beat myself up over you know i know people get very obsessed about the design and the concept but actually you know i, I kind of learned from russell t davis on the early days of doctor who is to not get too hung up on that you know because <laughs> you kind of saw the theme you know it's like one week it was it was cat people next week it was a rhino person and you're just going there's a bit of a theme to your thinking here isn't there russell and but then you realize what it was and he, he explained this to me it's like you know kids relate to it's a it's a family show and you know and you want a big kind of policeman a space policeman in a funny thing and he's, his head's like a rhino it's like well it tells a story in a really simple shorthand you know um you don't need to overcomplicate that it doesn't need to be like the most cool thing it just it it's got a function it's got a function within the show sometimes i think people lose sight of the function of the thing they're making you know they get, become obsessed with what they're making and they forget what they're making it for i love that and i like the fact that you know doctor who everything we do fits with that world you know and that's important and and you can't make something that's you know kids can't relate to you know because that's a big chunk of our audience and that that family has got to sit and watch in they've got to be them you know it it's all got to work together so if you go a bit obscure and a bit weird and try and get a bit kind of, you know, clever with it, you can disassociate yourself from people. You can do that in another job, you know, but that yeah. job, you know. It needs that. It needs that. It needs that. It's a broader strokes, you know, and, and being able to adapt your work to the kind of job, you know. I mean, again, we, we do, I say this new one uh, called Critical, which is, it's extreme you know it's it's an interesting situation because it's the first time ever where they edited the first episode and we got a call saying we're going to send you the rough cut and basically tell us what you don't like wow and we were like wow <laughs> but <laughs> it was you know they were like tell us what if you we, we you think we've edited it wrong because it it's a whole hour of an operation okay that's what the, the drama is i mean sky have spent a million an episode it's crazy budget and they um and they just wanted to be utterly real, and it's some quite extreme stuff. And um, and there's, there was a little bit of mixing up digital width and all this kind of. It was really well planned. I mean, I, to be completely frank, I haven't had a great deal to do with it because Rob and Kate, the workshop, were kind of. It was so all encompassing. They just put their time into it and they just kept the focus on it. But it's really intense, totally real. Sounds fantastic. And really creative inventive stuff coming from the shop you know um but that's a world away from doctor who it's utterly different things but you know again that's what i'm proud of that 
we don't get pigeonholed. We can do that. We can go over there and do something that's so extreme, intense, and totally real, and then do a rhino-headed space policeman, you know, <laughs> and, and, and get it right for those those different, you know, scenarios. What was the best advice you've ever been given? <clears throat> um, Chris Tucker, when I worked for him at 17, he just said, have a second string to your bow. He was just like, whatever happens, you know, the industry can be volatile, it can be difficult, you know, have something else to fall back on. And he wasn't saying, you know, go and learn how to sell cars or something. What he said was, look, if you, if you want to do prosthetics, learn, do, learn hairdressing barbering or something like that you can use those skills in there but should the worst come to the worst you could always just get a job doing yeah. that for a while you know have something else that's going to just keep you going because there's a sort of attitude you know sometimes you can have that attitude which is no 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 I'm just going to do that and I'm totally focused um, but you can't control the world and you know if the industry falls on its ass and you can't get a job um, you've got to have something else and it's the kind of thing that will bridge you over. I ended up going into, I entered the, the industry in the UK in when it was heavily in recession. I mean, half the studios were shut and everything, there was nothing going on. So I, I managed to keep going for a while, but we, it literally hit a time where there was no prosthetics being done, no one was doing anything. Um, so I, I've moved into doing physical effects. So I was off blowing up cars and making props and you know just spending whole nights walking along behind a, a fire truck just wetting down streets and doing all that but it was work and I was on yeah. a film set so I, yeah. I worked in that environment for a long time um, and I learned a lot you know suddenly I found I was building props and chatting to this old guy next to me building props and it turns out he built all the R2-D2s oh, wow. and you go well, okay this is new <laughs> you know, so you can start talking to him and, and these are people I wouldn't meet yeah, working solely in prosthetics. So you end up kind of meeting more people and it eventually led back into, because I met people, and in that case, I met guys who were doing visual effects and models and props at the time, who were going on to work with Jerry Anderson on a series called Space Priest. It was an awful show, but but Jerry was a big name in television and, and they needed creatures, you know? And they were like, oh, we know this guy. And suddenly it kind of brought me back in. It was one of the things that kind of accelerate my career it was just that I actually kind of had broader horizons you know and I think that sometimes people get too narrow-minded but you're also directing now aren't you directing and yeah I've done bits of directing I'm hoping to do something uh, in the future I've, I've kind of not pursued that too much I think you can get quite obsessed with directing and, and I'd like to do it I did they gave me a you know I've done some shorts and it's uh, been well received and um, there was uh, on Doctor Who they do a lot for the um, DVD extras, you know, so they had a, um, a segment they wanted to do, which was great. It was basically at the end of the shoot, they had a whole day of, everyone was still on payroll, but they, they'd finished the schedule. So they gave me the entire Doctor Who crew to, to shoot one day, That's you know, a little, you know, three minute segment to go along with the, it was the um, Town Called Mercy, the, the, the Gunslinger episode. So it was a little segment to go with that, which was an exclusive for the DVD. But it's kind of cool to see the Doctor Who music going, and my name is director and the BBC logo. So that's it's like, so three minutes, let's expand it up to the hour. That will yeah. do a whole next. episode next, but we'll see. Um, do you have a code of philosophy you live by? 
Well, it's just that, you know, don't be, li don't limit yourself, you know, because so many people do, they go, oh, I couldn't possibly do that, you know, that that's not an option for me, you know, that's, I wouldn't be able to do it, you know, um, so yeah, you know, I'm just, anything's possible, so don't, yeah, just don't put a cap on your imagination, and, and if, if you see an opportunity or have an idea or think, you, you know, it's always that thing, the amount of things that happen just because people just go, right, fine, I'm doing it, you know. I, the amount of people I've seen get films made just because they went, they didn't sit there trying to put the budget together for months and months and months, years and years and years. Someone just eventually went, you know what, we start shooting six months and that's it. Whether we got money or not, we're just going to shoot the bloody thing. And suddenly things fall into place. So, you know, it's those people who, who are driven and passionate and just step forward and just go, right, let's just do it. Let's just do it, let's make it happen. And, and um, yeah, you know, I, I never let anyone kind of put a restriction on me. I just kind of got on and did it. Well, also, I mean, you said something really interesting. It's like, I mean, when you came from the north of England and you came into, like, like what, you know, then I'm going to open up for questions and then Neil's going to look at some of the portfolio. But just, I just want you to talk about that because I thought that was kind of an amazing... Yeah, I mean, because this is... You know, 27, 28 years ago, and the the industry in England, particularly, used to be very unionised. It used to be a heavily unionised thing. Um, our, the unions lost power in the 80s, um, but what it meant was everyone in the industry was very mostly local to London. You know, every plasterer, every mold maker, they every, nearly every single one of them had all gone to the same school. It was that closed. So I arrived and I was from the north of England and we, they just didn't have people from the north of England going into the industry there and, you know, usual, lots of blokes, lots of testosterone, lots of taking the mickey and giving you a hard time. Um, but I just didn't like the, the attitude, you know, the, it's a hard thing because you start getting into conversation about unions and that's a different thing, but I, I didn't like the, 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 that aspect of the way that had been, which had been a closed shop, which had been a restrictions on you and not allowing you to do something. And for me, it's like, no one should not allow you to do something. I you love know? That. That's my choice. Yeah. You know? And and so I kind of got into an industry that was all, you know, and it wasn't terrible. It wasn't like I was somehow, you know, repressed, you know? It was just the, you got this vibe that, you know, oh, who are you and what's this all about? And, you know, who's like one of you kind of people into our industry? And it's like, I'm here. Well, I'll show you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I'm not going to be kind of, um, yeah, held back. I love that. All right, I'm going to do, I'm going to do uh, two or three questions. Dee, do you want to start? <laughs> you have done so much. I, I really don't see how you keep everything straight, but on your Neil's materials, you're currently selling supplies from other brands. Yeah. Is there a Neil's brands coming? There's bits and bobs. I mean, that, that's a whole other thing, you know, trying to do, mate, I, I've got a, there's a few little products with just, because what happened before is I came up with things and I usually gave them to someone else. There's, um, there's like a silicon, two part silicon, three part silicon um, material called Sculpt Gel, which a, a company called Mold Life make. And that was something I put together uh, and just gave to them. And, and so it's like, well, because I wasn't in a position to be able to manufacture at the time, I wasn't interested. I was more interested in the fact that people were buying, you know, you usually see things and kind of get frustrated with something. So I saw people were using the, um, oh, 
can't remember the name of it. The, 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 the there's another two part silicon paste. Um, right? Third degree. Third degree. That's it. Sorry. And um, which I thought was a great little product, but it always had this problem around mouths. It would always pop up and wouldn't stretch very much. And it was very expensive in England because uh, everyone was shipping it in. So I just went, well, I know how to make something like this and I can make it softer. And so I just kind of made something up and I know the guys at Mold Life and just went, you should market this. <laughs> you, know? you can give it away, but always keep the rights. <laughs> yeah, but I, I kind of wasn't interested in that. I was more interested in people being able to get hold of the product. Um, but now, you know, if I've got anything like that, I'll sort it out for myself, you know, I, I'll have that. Shop. Yeah, yeah, exactly, you know, so I've got a couple of ideas, a couple of little bits and pieces, but I'm not going to try some wholesale huge thing. The Niels Materials is yeah. more, more, yeah, <laughs> it's more, it, it's also just kind of things of, um, it, I've just got so many associations with colleges and things like that, and but a big portion of what we do is actually supply to colleges directly um, because also I, I, I do a lot in education in England and I advise them on their materials so it kind of made sense to kind of go well actually I'll just get them and then you can have you know so and also just trying to get the prices a little better you know I, I kind of most of the supply companies who are London based and the overheads are huge you know property in London is massively expensive so I just kind of try to bring the prices a bit more sensible and, and we run it from Cornwall, which is 300 miles from London and overhead's a lot cheaper, so I can just pass on some of those savings. So it's, it's just that kind of thing, you know, I, I like to have a, a finger in pies here and there and, and you know, it, it's an interesting, after helping so many other companies do work, you know, do that kind of thing, I just thought it's about time I gave it a go myself. Another question? So how do you feel having your work in a museum now with the Doctor Who experience? So you have your work right next to things that you grew up watching. It it saves me um, how, using up floor space in the workshop because uh, you know I I come out here and I see all these people have got their their exhibit exhibit uh, exhibit room and their their kind of museum in their workshops and I just all I can think I go in I'm terribly horrendously practically minded. And so I walk in and I see someone with a big room on their shop, taking up half the shop as a display room. And I just, all I can think of is like, what a waste of space. <laughs> what an utter waste of space. You know, because it's like, that could, that's working space. You know, you'll go in the other room, there's people kind of working on top of each other, and you're just thinking, you've got that great big room there. <laughs> but I don't, I, bizarrely, I don't like having that stuff on display at my shop because. It just all gets covered in dust and looks like crap, and you know. And where it lives is is on film, you know. So somehow it's not. It's never as good. So I'm not big on display pieces, but you know, it's nice. It's all in the museum, the you know, in the Doctor Who exhibition, and yeah, it's a fun play, and kids go and enjoy it and everything. And that's kind of how it should be. To have a little private display room, I've never quite got around. Can't, uh, the idea of someone just having a big room full of all this stuff and no one to share it with, or you know, or just only you know, select people allowed to see, is all a bit like no, just <laughs> make it open. Another question. Um, do you find it more challenging uh, to design something like a creature and pull it off when it's further away from human form, so like the Jadoon, or closer to human form, so like uh, the Slurians and Madame Vastra? Um, 
you know, I don't think that they, I don't think there's a big difference. You know, it's it, it's it's more trying to achieve something that you know. The hardest things to get is when there isn't something where there's a, a hook. You know, when there's something in a script where it, there's a nice idea there. We've had a couple of characters on Doctor Who. We had these. Um, I can't remember the name of them. This is out where it's like there was a character that had like a tube on its face, the half. That's it, and it bubbled away. And it was it was a kind of idea that Russell had, which wasn't really fully formed. And he, he, he kind of had this idea, but we just couldn't quite get our heads around it. And they've ended up being a bit kind of meh as characters. You know, no one really bothers with those. But something like the Ood got was incredibly yeah. popular. You know, and you kind of go, what's the difference? And the difference is that the, the, there was a very distinct thing about these characters. You know, the subservience and the tentacles and how they're kind of scary and then not scary and scary. So it was a, a stronger idea and that and it, it's when you haven't got a strong idea to the creatures that you just find it hard to really nail what they're about. Whereas if you get something with a strong idea and the Silurians, you know, because they were very different in the old series. But when you've got the script and it's all very talky and you can understand what they're doing and the way they want to go, it was much easier because you knew it had to be something that... You know, much more emotion, much closer to the the human face. I mean, that, that's just the actress's face with scales on, basically. You know. But I must say that when you got that, you must have been like, "I'm a dissident." Like we're older, so forgive us. <laughs> but, but when you must have been like, "I'm a dissident." I'm going to do an ice warrior. You must I've, have been I've like... Got a, I've got a maquette. The, uh, George who was over with us at the time and, and I got him to do a, this maquette of the Silurian. It's fantastic. I've still got it. But, you know, wow. it was the old the old Silurian kind of done, you know, yeah. tidied up, fixed up and in a Jordu style. And it was like, oh, that's nice. And everyone loves it. Yeah. But it was just wrong for the episode because it needed all this talking and it just didn't have a, you know, the human face. Well, also, uh, another question. Mike... My all-time favorite episode of Doctor Who is Blink. Mm. I was wondering about your involvement with it. Yeah, well, that was that was um, it's been massively ex the the, the Weeper Angels, you know, which is a classic now, absolute classic characters. That was the the hot potato because we I went into the meeting on that. It was, there was two things happened. It was right in the middle of series, and it's um, and it was one of these kind of bottleneck episodes. So it's not in the normal run of the schedule. They were bolting on the on as an extra episode, which is why David's hardly in it. You know, he was recorded separately, and it was one of those to kind of give everyone a break. Um, but I hadn't. We were just so busy at the time. I hadn't really kind of paid much attention to what was going on and to the schedule. So I got in the meeting, and um, they were talking about these statues. And straight away, the producer just went, "Well, there's no way we can do these with with prosthetics and makeup." Okay, <laughs> so I just sat back and thought, well, let's see how this conversation goes. And basically, the art department were going, well, we can't build loads of statues. It's never going to work. We haven't got the budget. Digital effects were going, no way. We can't do it. It's just not going to go. And eventually, the conversation came back to me, and it's like, well, I'm glad you've worked that out. And uh, you know, I get the sh the short straw basically. But yeah, you know, we can do it. We'll do this. I promise. Because everyone had in their head, you know, as soon as you go a, a person in makeup to be a statue, they think of that person who stands in the middle of the town, you know, pretending to be painted silver or something, you know. And um, so I was like, look, promise, I can make it work. We can do this. This will be fab. You know, we we just 
you know, we need to cast some girls and we'll do it prosthetic and all this. So I was all kind of pleased with myself, thinking, well, they were all dismissing it and now they'll come back and it will all be good. Um, and then they got onto the scheduling and I realised that, that we only had two weeks to do it. <laughs> I was like, oh, damn, <laughs> maybe I should have come on my show. Uh, but it, it, we just simplified it, you know, it's like all the clothes. I just had um, one of my costume makers just actually make it as a costume. And we just stuck it on a dummy, coated it in resin, and then did a little bit of clay work. So it wasn't even, you know, the, this part is all foam latex. This is all fabricated and, and uh, foam and from a mold. And yeah, generic face, and it, it's really low tech. They're really simple, but it but, just worked, you know? But the actors must have been incredibly disciplined. The thing is, what you don't realize is the eyes pop out. So oh. they're just little plastic shells. So what happens is in between takes, you take them out, because you don't have to worry about for the take because they're standing still. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So you get them in position, you just pop them in, and they can see anything, but that's fine. And then in take, you take them out. That's but, um, but the funniest thing was on set was they were shooting a green screen and we did build a statue uh, for a couple of specific sh shots <laughs> and they'd been um, they'd been shooting with one of the girls against green screen doing different poses and one of the runners on set had kind of just gone off set and they popped the statue in and let her step out and the runner came back on set taking lunch orders and went up to the statue and started going so Anna what do you want for lunch? <laughs> it's completely bamboozled but no it um and it's fascinating how they've just taken off you know they're, they're so popular and it's fun seeing all the cosplayers now kind of getting it because they are they're infinitely doable as a cosplay so so no it's good it's, and and it, it's again simple idea going back to the question at the back there you know that works brilliantly because it's a brilliant idea you know and it's when you've got a kind of wishy-washy idea for a character you're never going to make it better these things work hand in the great thing about Doctor Who is it's just great character writing and great characters so if you have a kind of lame idea a lame character something that hasn't got you know a good idea behind it you're going to have a hell of a time trying to make a, an interesting creature out of it because you know half of it is the character of it the performance yeah. of it you know um, we'll do one more and then we'll look at Paul Five. oh right right uh, Neil, a question for you, sir. There are a lot of people in the world right now, including myself, who believe that the best makeup in the world is coming out of the UK right now. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you if you could share with us, is there a way that you look at work that you feel may be different than your friends in the States? That's a tricky question. Um, I think one of the factors is just that we've been very lucky to have um, a lot of production in the last few years. So that's, you know, a lot of people working is always going to generate more and advance things. I mean, the last, the last 10 years, the industry has just changed massively. And a lot of the technology and the materials, it's all changing fast. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting thing from my perspective, because I look here and for a long time, I saw that there wasn't much change going on. There was lots of new materials coming in like the silicons, you know, but things like the mold making was all still, to my perception, very much the same. The, you know, you were use, you're still using stone, or we're still using stone, and 
I looked around IMAT and most of the makeups in there were foam. Still. And if you go to London and look around IMAX, you will very, you'll see very few foam makeups. You see in lots of other materials. So this, I, I don't know what it is. I think maybe because there's a longer tradition of it here and certain products worked for you so well. You know, in the UK, we didn't have a good plaster. We had to use other, we had to diversify, you know, right back to the early 80s, we were using fiberglass and all these other products. So I think there was more of a tradition of being a bit, a bit looser and a bit easier to kind of adapt. Whereas here, I think there might have been just a stronger tradition. And trying to shake off that tradition and try and go in new directions and experiment with new materials, it's harder. It's turning the oil tanker, you know? It just takes longer to make that turn. So I think we in the UK, there was, it, there was less sort of restrictions around us which allowed us to experiment more, which allowed, you know, the silicon things to advance maybe a bit quicker. So maybe I think the, the, the increase in production plus a little bit more, you know, I mean, also films like Harry Potter is another aspect which um, doesn't happen here a lot, but films like Harry Potter, Guardians of the Galaxy, there isn't a company doing that. You know, here it would be Cinovation or ADI or that kind of thing. In the UK, that is Nick Dudman spent 10 years as an employee of Warner Brothers. And all his crew were employees of Warner Brothers, working on the Warner Brothers lot in a facility set up by Warner Brothers just to do Harry Potter. What that gives you is the, the ability to be more experimental. Mm -hmm because you're not worried about your budget so much. I mean, they still got to work to a budget, but they're, they're more relaxed about, you know, if, you've, if you're a company doing a movie, you've got to worry about going over budget. You've got to worry about what happens at the end of the movie and you haven't made a profit and you still got to pay the bills. Nick never had to worry about paying the bills. So for 10 years on Harry Potter, I mean, they had a whole series of, you know, lots of people experimenting all the time mm -hmm. and they could afford to do that. You know, and David on, on Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, he worked for Marvel, you know, yeah. for, for Disney. Um, and he had a crew of 120. And they're all employed by Disney. And they set up the workshop. For, and that's how most big movies are done in the UK. That's why you don't see me doing a lot of movies, is because if I worked on those films, I could just couldn't do everything else. I couldn't do Doctor Who. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that because we're an independent company, we tend not to do film, you know, or we do the smaller or the, the middle scale, you know, we just did Victor Frankenstein last year, which will be out this year, which is for Fox, but, you know, most of those big films will imp totally employ their own crew and a supervisor. And it does allow for more, you know, they can throw more money at it and they, they can experiment more. And they, Potter was a fantastic, um, hotbed of, of creativity and, and they had some, you know, if you look on something like Harry Potter, you had people like Mark Coulier were, you know, who's, who's an Oscar winner and is nominated again and, you know, he spent nearly 10 years working on Potter doing lots of the lead characters and, and with a massive amount of time and money to experiment so he's reaping the rewards of that, you know, having the time and the money to experiment and and being on a nice wage every week, so so it's a di it's just a totally different way of working, which is actually encourage that kind of thing, and encourage that kind of uh, experimentation. Brilliant! Thank you very much. That's all right. Thank you.